Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Strength and Speed owner and Mudgear Battle Lines Pro, Evan Preparis. I've been gone for a hot minute. I apologize. I was training, tapering, and then I got sick. Well, that's another story. Uh, getting ready for World's Toughest Mudder, and then it was busy racing, traveling, and doing Oper- um, Operation Infinite Hero Challenge, Tough Mudder's uh, team-building event that I help run. So I'm back now. I'm uh, going to try to be more regular over the next couple months. But uh, let's get to uh, today's guest. Before we get to him, though, a quick word from this episode's sponsor. So this is post-World Toughest Mudder, so all about recovery. So I'm going to highlight a couple of brands that are sponsored of Mudgear Battle Alliance Pro Team that are all focused on recovery. So one of them is Yoked. It's a supplement that you take that uh, helps build muscle. So it's great for recovery. And if anyone wants to try that, you can use code STRENGTH20 and save 20%. Also, Compex, essentially recovery like massage guns, and they have those boots that compress by air um, that are on the monetarily one of the, the lower cost ones that you can buy. And then finally, Ufos, right? So if you're not tracking Ufos, you need to get a pair. They are the best sandals post-race, period. Uh, They absorb 37% more impact than traditional running shoe foam. Super comfortable. I own the shoes. I own the sandals. I own the slides. Um, If anyone has any questions about the shoes, you know, just shoot me a text. um, There's two different styles. There's the easy and then there's the normal ones. I can't remember what the other ones are called, but uh, I like the normal ones better than the easy. Uh, Essentially... They're, they're a little bit softer on the top, so you can check those out. All right, let's get to today's guest. Joining me, I have Ian Kasky. Ian, welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so we're going to run through your bio real quick, and then we'll spend about 20 minutes talking about you personally, and then we'll transition into some world's toughest mother stuff. How about this race, and then also like how it compares to previous years. So a little bit about Thank Ian, five-sport athlete in high school, so football, cross-country, Basketball, track, and baseball, that is very busy. I didn't even know you could do five sports. Uh, All-state and track senior well, year, 10th in the 400, second in the 800, third in the mile, ran cross-country at Cornell College, all-conference, uh, cross-country, all-American and track for 800. Uh, school record is 800, was uh, 151, so that is fast. Uh, I r- ran uh, post-collegially for a few years. Um, and then in 2014, ran his first Warrior Dash from friends, enjoyed himself, and then ran in 2015 the competitive heat, took fourth, then switched over, started doing some Spartan, Chicago Spartan Sprint Super uh, Elite, and then kind of uh, started, kept going from there. So 2017, first podium, uh, then three more in 2018, third in Spartan Tahoe Ultra, 2019, uh, 16 14 in the 100 meter race at Tunnel Hill. 2020 did the ultravirus 12 hour op, Matt Davis's obstacle racing media's um, virtual race got 70 miles second and then 2021 set masters record so that's 40 and up for road 5k 1536 uh, first place Chicago toughest with 60 miles that was a good race I was there and sixth place at uh, world's toughest mother with 100 miles so Ian welcome thanks so let's again let's start talking about you first so tell me about the like how you found OCR um, specifically, right? Because you looks like you've been a lifelong athlete. And uh, was there yeah. ever a point where you were not an athlete, or has it just been kind um, of steady going all all these years? It's been pretty steady. Uh, like I said, I kind of took a hiatus after college and worked for a while. I was probably only running a couple times a month, but um, other than that, it's yeah, it's been pretty consistent since probably junior high. Gotcha. And, you know, I noticed your high school stuff and uh, college is all short distance, right? 400, 800 yeah, mile. Yeah. 
And then I look at the, your last couple of years and it's like 12 hour, hundred mile race, um, uh, you know, 12 hour race, 24 hour race. So why the transition? Um, honestly, I'm not real sure. It just kind of, I kind of fell into it, fell into a 50 K with some friends of mine and did pretty well and enjoyed it. And it was a kind of a new way to push my limits, I guess, and see what I can do. Gotcha. And that hundred mile, um, I think I said, I think I may have said a hundred meter in the bio. I'm, I'm not sure, but a hundred mile race, sixteen fourteen is like an insane hundred mile um, time. Even uh, is, I'm, I'm guessing that's a fairly flat course. Um, it was, yeah, it's on an old railroad track in uh, Illinois. Okay, but still, I mean, sixteen fourteen is literally that's insane. Oh, yeah, man. And I actually took ninth place that year. Jeez. So the I'm assuming it was just flat and straight for a long time, right? Yeah. Yep. There was a 25 out and then 25 the other direction, and then you repeated it twice. So it was <sighs> it was pretty monotonous, but it was good for times. Yeah, I helped pace my friend during a hundred miler that was on a I think it was a rails to trails hundred. I think it was fifty out and fifty back. And uh like coming back, I was pacing him those last uh, about twenty miles. The like the the trees created like this tunnel, and it was like it made you drone really bad because yeah. there's like like your yeah. your scenery is essentially not changing. It was weird. Yeah, yeah, that's how this was. <sighs> and then especially at night, it's just head headlamps bouncing and a lot of monotony. <laughs> so. Tell me about like your training when you were doing short distance stuff, right? So like, you know, 5k and below and compare that to your training now that you're uh, a little more ultra focused. Um, so 5k, I would be doing more short mileage probably on a week. Uh, before I got really into OCR, I made have done 20 to 25 miles, mostly track work. Uh, and then as far as intensity, I was probably hitting like, 50% hard, 50% easy, which I've found in the last few years. Um, I don't know if you've heard of Matt Fitzgerald. He's got a book on 80-20 running. Yeah, I love Matt Fitzgerald. Yeah, that, that's been a game changer. Uh, probably the last, I would say, three or, three or four years. Um, just understanding the slow mileage and how much that fills the aerobic base. Um, that's been huge once I kind of switched into the longer endurance events, um, I don't think it would have been possible, obviously with 20, 30 miles a week, but with, you know, I probably hit 60 to 80 miles most, most often, I guess. And if I was trying to still hit that 50, 50, I would be injured and fatigued and, you know, can't, you can't build very long on that. So that was probably the biggest game changer for me. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna plug his other book, which I've plugged probably a dozen times on this podcast before. Have you read uh, How Bad Do You Want It? Yeah, great book. Love it. Yeah, yep. it's one of my favorite. I I've, I actually listen to it uh, often before like big races, just to kind of like bring my mind back into the right yeah. place. Yeah. Cool. So, um, obviously, a lot of road and cross country uh, in the early part of your uh, athletic career. There, yep. why the switch to obstacle course racing? Um, 
again, I kind of fell into it. I, I had done those few warrior dashes just for fun and I still kind of had the running bug. So that for the second warrior dash I did competitively, um, I could tell that I maybe had a little potential there. And then actually the Spartan race, I had signed up for a hard charge when they still had an Iowa race. Nice. And That's that really the old. Went under. Yeah, I think it was 2015. They went under that year and Spartan did their thing where they get the email list and send out a thing saying, you can have a free race if you, you know, sorry that you had this, this hard charge old on you, but you can do a free Spartan if you want. So I ended up signing up for the Chicago one and assumed it was just like a warrior dash. I didn't really do any research or anything. Mm. And then got to the race. I had never even done a burpee. I didn't even know what a burpee was. And I think I ended up doing uh, 120, 150 something, just an unreal amount and was destroyed. <laughs> um, but it, again, it was a good experience in terms of I had never, I'd never been so tired. I think I finished in like 50 minutes, but I, I was completely drained and I don't think I'd ever been that drained from any cross country track, road race, anything like that. And, um, it just kind of sparked me to see, see what I could do, I guess. Gotcha. It was a a new, a new thing that I had no idea existed, honestly. So I'm going to jump back for a second. So when you did the Warrior Dash in 2015, um, do you remember what venue it was? It was the Des Moines one. Oh, okay. I was going to say, if it was the Chicago one, I was there. <laughs> no. But I was, I was not at the Des Moines one. No, it was this, the little Des Moines one. And actually, Bracken won that race, which I didn't I, – he started coaching me, I think, in 2015, or 2016. And I figured that out around that time too which is kind of crazy that's pretty funny yeah it's it's funny so i've looked at pictures from like 2015 and uh, at the time i didn't know anyone on the starting line and been like oh i know like 80 percent of the starting line in hindsight yeah Yeah. Uh, is you get the same you know you get the same the competitive get people essentially a lot of times we'll travel around and go to like you know everything in driving distance so yeah exactly especially in the middle of the country where there's just not much um a little little less Yeah, where do you live up more back then but yeah pretty thin now where do you live now i live in eastern iowa okay kind of north of iowa city so, do you live you live near the uh, largest truck stop in the world uh yeah i'm about 30 minutes from there okay yeah i-80 nice. i-80 truck stop yeah yeah I, we stop there every time i drive through nice <laughs> all right let's um so Let's talk about your 100-mile race, 16-14. I mentioned it once yep. already, right? So what was your what's your was your fueling strategy for that? Because I think a lot of people uh, have issues with fueling. I was just kind of curious to know. I what... would say I kind of had it dialed in for that race, and I haven't varied from it very much since. Um, I'm fortunate to have kind of a decent stomach, I guess. And um, I basically take... I'd switch back and forth between brands, but um, right now I'm on Honey Stinger. I'll take a gel every 30 minutes. I have an alarm set on my watch, um, and I'm pretty consistent about that, even late in the race when there's 
very little desire to, to put that in my mouth. I just have learned to make myself do it. Um, and that's what I did for that 100 mile. And with some other food and um, liquid, liquid calories too. Um, but I can't drink a lot. Uh, so I've found that kind of gives me whatever calories I can get from a drink is kind of a bonus that I can keep around that 250, 300 calories an hour just off of gels um, and then sip on. I usually do tailwind. Um, I'll just sip on tailwind and try to get maybe 12 ounces down an hour. Gotcha. Good stuff. Yeah, that's, I'm, that's worked pretty well last, the last few years. Yeah, I'm a huge proponent of uh, liquid calories just to kind of make easier for your body to absorb and digest as yeah. opposed to like throwing a big yeah. lump of food in there that's sucking blood away from your muscles into your stomach. So, yeah. Yep. So, what I recommend in uh, Mud Run Guides Ultra OCR Bible, my, my endurance obstacle course racing book there. So, um, yeah, and some, that doesn't work for a lot of people, or, you know, some people can't stomach the gels, but it, to me, it's just a, a training strategy. You just, figure out how to make it work and kind of like how bad do you want to yeah how bad do you want to do long <laughs> yeah i don't know I, I think that um i think the it just makes people feel weird when their stomach is used to like chunks of food in there and then it's mostly liquid yeah. and like gels uh i i think you can uh, make your body adjust if you if you force it i, I think yeah. people um yeah People aren't willing to go go to that place where it's like, well, this this is not what I'm used to. Um, so, I think they they default yeah. to solid food. Just my my two cents. Yeah. All right. That, for a longer event like World Toughest Mudder or even that hundred mile, I would try to get some kind of solid food every two to three hours. Like at at World's Toughest, I'd eat an uncrustable every every other lap or every third lap. If gotcha. I could yeah, I didn't start eating solid food until like hour. I was probably like sixteen or eighteen. Yeah, I I go all liquid. So, but nice. uh, all right, let's. So, how, how did you end up? Because I haven't seen you in the tough mutter scene before, and uh, you showed up at Tough of Chicago, and uh, we're running, and you and Vincent at some point passed me, and I was like, these guys look very fast and very comfortable, <laughs> and I was like, hmm. This could be a problem. And um, yeah, yeah, the two of you guys ended up beating, you both beat me and both got 60 miles. Um, why did you decide to try Toughest? Uh, I actually had wanted to run it uh, last year and obviously that didn't happen with COVID. Um, so I, I actually had World's Toughest kind of circled last year too. I, I wanted to do a 12 hour ahead of that, obviously, just to see the obstacles, see how my body handle it. Um, I had never done any, obviously I'd done hundred, a few hundred miles, uh, where I'd gone over 16 or 20 hours, but I'd never done more than like six or seven. I've done several ultras for Spartan, but those are, you know, 31, 32 miles. Um, but it intrigued me. I, I do like the loop style just cause it's, uh, as far as, you know, you have your pit, your fuel it's consistent you can kind of get into a groove so that appealed to me um and i knew typically the terrain wasn't super crazy in terms of vertical gain or terrain and i've 
again, I've ran several Spartans, the courses with the choppy terrain and super soft terrain, or, you know, we're running through creeks for six hours. I'm, I'm susceptible to cramping when it's super soft like that. So it kind of appealed to me as potentially something that I'd be able to hopefully hold a decent pace for the whole time and maybe not cramp up. Um, so that's the Chicago venue. Obviously, it's it's only two and a half hours from my place. So that was appealing. I didn't have to get on a plane or drive forever. Um, in the terrain, I knew it was I knew it was pancake flat over there. So that was that was why it was so appealing to me, I guess. Gotcha. And then you decided to come out. Obviously, you, you won the uh, Toughest Chicago event. Decided to come out for World's Toughest Mudder, which this year took place in Laughlin, Nevada. For those who are not familiar, it's about an hour and a half, an hour and a half south of Las Vegas. So the, the old venue was about 45, eh, 45 minutes east of Las Vegas. So you actually drove past or drove through part of the town on your way down to Laughlin, Nevada. So it was all the way by the Arizona border down to the, kind of the bottom point of Nevada there. Now, what were some of your ex- expectations coming into World's Toughest? And then kind of how did it... Um, like just kind of the experience in general, the, you know, your expectations versus reality. Um, and then we'll talk about your performance a little bit after. I, my expectations, I, I guess my, my goal was to hit hundred miles just because I thought I could physically do it. And I knew that would put me in a decent shot of getting on a podium or top five, at least um, in terms of what, I thought I could do. I honestly didn't know. Um, obviously, the toughest Chicago gave me some confidence that I could at least, you know, hitting 60 miles in 12 hours. I felt fairly comfortable that I could do 100. But again, not knowing the terrain, which the terrain ended up being a little bit worse than I thought it would be. Um, not knowing the terrain, not knowing how tough the obstacles would be. Uh, toughest Chicago was fairly easy. I didn't fail very much there. Um, and then not knowing what the penalties would be, because I know Chicago's penalties were, from what I have heard, not the most difficult penalties or penalties. Um, so I was a little bit worried about, you know, I know I had heard some of the toughest were gonna be a half mile penalty or so I was afraid that of getting, you know, half mile to a mile of extra running per loop could, could be disastrous in terms of trying to hit a hundred. So I was a little bit uh, hesitant to, to push too hard, especially the first maybe six to eight hours. Um, but then once we got into it and I could tell that the obstacles, none of the obstacles were super tough. Uh, There's some that were more time consuming and kind of took more energy out of you. But they weren't, uh, I wasn't really concerned about failing them or losing a lot of time if I did. So then it just became more, how long can I sustain this and not, not, not blow up basically. Gotcha. What about some of the, what about the community, right? So like uh, people in Tough Mudder always talk about the community and like the other people on course, um, just kind of from an, maybe a non-Tough Mudder perspective coming in. Uh, any thoughts on, on what that was like? I, I thought it was amazing. Yeah. Um, I, the, the Chicago toughest was great. Um, definitely a lot of camaraderie out there. World's toughest was like another level. Um, everybody on course, you know, obviously there's the incentive to work together and that 
that took place a lot. Um, but just the encouragement from people on course, the atmosphere, um, especially you get back to the um, the pit area and you know the DJ and all that. Just a great atmosphere. Lots of people positive the whole time. Um, encourage you to push yourself. Just yeah, it was something I I mean I've ex I've experienced a lot of races, but it's more definitely more individual based, I guess. Uh, so it was it was pretty cool to see how how everybody could just buckle down and work together, get through stuff, whether they're on mile 40 or mile 90, didn't really matter. Everybody's just pushing each other. Yeah, absolutely. And we had the Everest Angels on the podcast before. They were out there, yeah. uh, obviously. But then there was also, so Jay Mazza and some of his his friends, like I don't know all their names, I apologize, but they were at Mutterhorn. And normally Mutterhorn, there's like a wooden board about halfway up. Um, the first like yeah. eight feet is, is like a smooth surface. So you, you basically step on the wooden board and you, you climb up. And they removed that and they hung some ropes down. But so Jay and his crew were there um, essentially boosting people up for 24 hours. Just like, yeah, that, that was unreal. Bruising, bruising the hell out of their shoulders and uh, yeah. eyes. And then there was another one. So Skidmark, they covered Skidmark's are an angled wall since so it's angled back towards you. And again, there's normally there's like footholds on the way up, but they boarded up a bunch of them. And there was a guy, um, his nickname is Peaches was there again by himself so no cover just he's just by himself at this obstacle just boosting people up which yeah. is insane yeah, yeah you know and yeah there's a lot of like you mentioned a lot of the obstacles have penalties um but not all the obstacles have penalties so some of them are mandatory completion and what like skid marks yeah. is mandatory completion so if you got there and couldn't get over that wall like you're you're kind of screwed right yeah um yeah same with uh they did it's called dublin wall so essentially it's berlin wall with an essentially an eight foot wall with an overhang and um there was no one there boosting people up but uh it was fairly early in the course so there's usually someone usually run into yeah. someone there if you had yeah. trouble yeah yeah did you um and then uh you stuck around for the brunch yeah i did yeah yeah that was that was again unexpected in terms of great atmosphere and a lot of uh i guess even just through the awards and stuff the the types of awards they gave out just really cool how, how they recognize people and uh volunteers um just a wide range of it wasn't just the top podium it was the whole community they recognized you know outstanding performances on on all sorts of parts of the parts of the race yeah sure. yeah yeah, I really enjoy that because, it, yeah, it's like you said, it's not just the the podium people. It's the podium people, but there's also these other, you know, talking about the community and volunteering and uh, there's all these community awards and stuff like that. So it's really like a Tough Mudder Awards Banquet, even though it's it's called World's Toughest uh, yeah. Champions Brunch. It's really like Tough Mudder's Award, Awards Banquet. It's kind of a nice uh, end of year, although it's not actually the end of the year, but it's mostly the end of the year uh awards lunch and if if anyone's going to world's toughest my one recommendation um that it took me several years to do this but i i, I definitely stick around for the monday brunch i, I would always um i, I started going in 2017 yeah. and since then i've gone every year because i was like well i can't miss that because you know you finish the race and you're exhausted and you're tired and uh like i know I, all i want to do is get out of my wet muddy clothes right 
Um, so yeah. you're like, you might be a little less social, but you know, I, I go home and I don't know about you, but I sleep awful Sunday night. My body is just screaming at yeah. me all night. And then Monday I'm like, it's good to see everyone. And everyone's a little, you're in a better mood. You're in dry clothes. You get to eat. So, um, yeah, highly recommend brunch. Yeah, for sure. I was, yeah, I wasn't completely planning on going, uh, but kind of decided after the race that it would be, I thought it'd be worthwhile. And I was definitely happy we, we made it to it. Yeah. You, you were saying, yeah, when I was saying, when I was talking about Sunday night, uh, do you, do, you have, do you have trouble sleeping Sunday night? Yeah, yeah. Um, I we actually went to Vegas because one one of my pit pit crew people, my sister in law, had a flight out the next morning, so we drove to Vegas and I slept the whole way there. And then we got to the hotel and I was just up till probably I don't know one or two in the morning. Just all the yeah, just basically from all the caffeine intake through the race, um, and just your body being pumped up and ready to go to war and just I can can shut down yeah I probably got five hours of sleep yeah I'm, I'm about to say and mine was broken into like 30 minute to hour increments where I'd sleep yeah. and then wake up and be in pain and then fall back asleep yeah. and repeat all night so not super pleasant uh, for those who were at yeah. tw- 2019's world's toughest or listened to our podcast after 2019's world toughest one of our complaints uh, was that it was too like gamified, right? There's all these rubber ducks and there's these golden carabiners and you had to do all this kind of nonsense to um, get things to earn those things. And then you could use those to cover more mileage. So what was really cool about this one uh, for those who were, who have been some of the previous years is so if you had a contender or an elite contender bib, uh, those games were not an option, but if you had an open wave bib, um, those games were an option. So I thought we, the Tough Mudder headquarters did like a really good job of just splitting that, um, splitting that right down the middle. Whereas, you know, if, if you, if you want to be competitive, if you want to compete for prize money, you can race in the contender category or the elite contender category, right. And, and shoot for those um, mileage markers without the games and without some of the, uh, yeah, the gamification. But if you wanted to have a little more fun and, you know, maybe less care about placement, you could do the open wave category, which, you know, they had the golden carabiners on route. They had a bunch of rubber ducks in Block Ness Monster, like last time that you could bring in and uh, redeem for prizes. They had a uh, concrete TM at the in the pit area, and people were like chipping out carabiners from the concrete. Uh, they were taking like shots of hot sauce and uh, to earn like bypass bands and stuff like that. Did you see any of that on course? I did. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was it was pretty cool. I <laughs> I had heard about the the 2019 so i'm i mean i've i'm not against any of that stuff but yeah when it's when you're competing it does kind of uh go away from from the competition i guess but it was i thought it was cool how they still implemented it for for the open wave yeah the the hot shots i saw lots of people a mile or so out from the pits kind of ejecting the hot sauce oh really yeah. yeah, I heard. I heard that was really upsetting people's stomach. Um, like they're yeah. like, yeah, it didn't. It didn't burn too bad going down. It was like, but it just it did not sit right. So yeah. The other cool thing was so it was outside of Laughlin. So unlike in the Vegas venue, you're essentially in the middle of the desert and you really can't see anything. It's just kind of blackness in all direction. La- with the Laughlin venue, you could see the city. You could see Laughlin, and it was all lit up at night. So you got to see like the casinos in the background and the hotels and stuff like that, which is really cool. 
did you hear the concert going on on the first uh, mile of the course? I did. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was pretty cool too. I... So, you know, Sean Corvell, every, um, tough money, he's like, when was the last time you did something for the first time? And there's a song by Darius Rucker that uses the same lyrics, uh, that we're going to say the tough money community claims that Darius Rucker stole that from Sean Corvell and the tough money community, uh, which, Yes, I agree with that. <laughs> um, yeah. But what was crazy was Darius Rucker was in Laughlin the night of the race playing a playing a concert. And on I don't know what mile I'm on, you know, 55 or something. And I come around uh, that first corner uh, starting my next lap and they're playing that song and yeah. I could hear it live on the course, which was just I mean, the probability of all those events lining up is just completely crazy to me um, because yeah. it's not like he he played it multiple times, right? That's the only time he's going to play it during the night. And I happened to be on the, like, the one mile of section of course where you could hear those lyrics, which is really cool to hear. Yeah, it was pretty surreal. What did you think of uh, Mark Botris's performance? Um, I thought going into the race when I saw that he was going to be racing there, that he was going to go out hot and more than likely implode nothing mm-hmm. against him just it's a hundred it's a 24-hour race i just i i know he likes to race like that but i had no idea that he was going to be able to hold it that long um and i i think i got lapped by him twice in the first maybe 14 hours and he was just he was just motoring it was unreal um yeah it's, it didn't surprise me that he won, but it definitely surprised me that he hit 115 miles. Just unreal. And then to go back and look at his pit times, and I mean, obviously it worked for him, but I think he was averaging like five to ten minutes to pit. Some of them were even longer. That's wild. Um, and I, my wife was on my pit, and she said she saw him in pit, and he was just hammering food. He'd just sit there and pound down you know, a bowl of ramen or whatever. <laughs> those, those are out. long pit times for an elite. Those yeah. are, those are very long. Like you're wasting yeah. a lot of time and what's even crazier. So I heard that for the first like five or six laps, he didn't know what the obstacle bypass bracelets were. So he didn't pick up oh, really? first five or six bracelets, which allows you oh, to skip man. one obstacle. And on that course you could skip. Um, a lot of people were using it on devil's beard or with a variation yeah. of devil's beard, which is an uphill yeah crawl underneath the tight cargo net and through a little bit of water uh, because that one took you know took almost two minutes probably to and it was kind of annoying where did you you end up using your uh, bypass bands on so i when i did chicago i was afraid i was going to cramp so i hoarded mine the first oh five or six loops that we got them um and then used two at a time the last several laps so I, and that worked pretty well for me. So I kind of wanted to do that this time too, if I could. Um, so I, I saved up, I think I had 10 before I started using them. Um, and I was kind of, you know, the first 50 miles or so, just seeing what obstacles were taking the most time. Um, and I, the first one I used was on the devil's, devil's beard one. And just because it was, it was a drainer. Um, like I could almost feel my quads cramping up when I try to get through through the nuts. Uh, but then I checked my time and I was it was taking like two minutes. And if you use the bypass, 
you still had to walk up the hill, which I figured would take like 30 seconds. So you're only really gaining like a minute 30. Right. Um, but then on the, what's the hurdle, the log hurdle one? I can't remember what they called that. Lumberjacked? Lumberjack, yeah. It was, it was fairly simple. It was just a sandbag and then the four hurdles. But I think it took like three and a half to four minutes or so to get through it. And then uh, Mutterhorn, I was guessing, took about three. So to me, those were the two most time-consuming ones. So the last, I think the last six laps, I skipped both of those every time mm. just to try to gain, I don't know what that would have been, about seven minutes or so. Um, so I still did the devil's beard, but uh, I felt confident that that extra minute or so was worth the struggle, whether or not it worked or not. I mean. I never completely cramped up, so I I felt good about that. But um, yeah, I I think it worked out well. Nice. Yeah, I ended up I was using on Devil's Beard a lot and the um, Motorhorn again, just because their time yeah. sucks there. And yeah. I, similar strategy. I, I I think I started using them around mile fifty five or so, and then um, used I would use like one a lap, and then those last couple laps I used two a lap. So. Yeah, uh, just trying to save time when I'm exhausted and uh, yeah. things are, you know, you know, some some things take you a minute fresh, but then as you fatigue, it may take two minutes, right? So yeah, uh, I think they end yeah. up increasing in value almost as as the race goes on. I did, I was planning on potentially saving some more um, towards the end. I was just kind of playing or watching the clock. I wanted to make sure I could get that last lap in, at, you know, come in under 24 hours. So. I was prepared to throw three or four down, you know, that, that last lap if I had to, just to get back on course and try to get the last five miles in. Gotcha. But luckily, I think I came in like, I owe 1130 or something. So I was a half hour, I had a half hour extra time. So still was able to use two on the last lap. Gotcha. Now, you know, people were like, oh, well, if, um, back to Mark Botris, right? So, his yep. performance was insane, right? So he would yep. pass me, and I would be like, what? I've never seen – you know, I've done seven World's Toughest. I've done, uh, let's see, three, six, nine, uh, 11 Toughest Mutters. I've never seen someone pass me that fast. Yeah. It was insane. Yeah. And, and people were like, well, if Ryan Atkins was here, um, you, do you, think, you still think Mark would have won? And the answer is yes, 100%. And here's yeah. why. Because, like you were saying, he was going so fast. Everyone, Trevor, you, me, I was like, you can't sustain that. He's going to blow yeah. up. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think if Ryan Atkins was there, I think he would have let Mark go because he would have been like, he's going too yeah. fast. And by the, just like Trevor, by the time he realized uh, uh, how far ahead he was and how much time he had left, he, he, you can't catch him in that amount of time yeah. left. Um, yeah. Now, uh, let's – Fast forward a year, hypothetically, Ryan Atkins and Mark Botchers both show up to World Service Motor 2022. I think then it's a different story because now uh, Ryan knows Mark's capability and Mark yeah. knows Ryan's capability, and then that would be a really good battle. Yeah, so, I agree. Yeah. Although the same same token, I it wouldn't surprise me if Mark uh, we find some things like his pit, especially, yeah. and I you know. The buy press bracelets and, and, and impossibility. 
Oh, it, yeah. It it would be a really good race. I'm. Yeah, I think Mark could beat Ryan. Um, I think I think Ryan could also beat Mark. Yeah, I think it's a. Uh, yeah, Ryan's undefeated in essentially ultra OCR. So you know, eight hour plus. Yeah. He's never lost since two thousand thirteen, yeah. which is insane. Um, so you have to obviously give credit there. Uh, but I mean, Mark's performance was. It was next level. And, yeah. you know, I've had Ryan pass me in a eight hour toughest and I've actually, I've run with him for a mile um, and been not, not winded. Right. Like, but yeah. you know, I've been like, he's moving, he just moves very um, efficiently and yeah. uh, doesn't waste a lot of time transitioning in and out of obstacles. And then he, he blazes through the pit. Um, yeah. And I, I moved through the pit pretty quick, but uh, Ryan was also very quick. And, uh, yeah, I, I stuck with him for a mile and I was feeling fine. And then he, again, he just was more efficient and kept moving. So uh, yeah. versus Mark, like, I mean, <laughs> he was moving like laughably fast. I was like, you, it's like you can't yeah. run like that. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, v- very impressive. Um, also, want to give a quick shout out to Trevor Psychos. So this was his seventh year of World Cup Mutter, his seventh year on the podium, his fourth. Uh, 100 mile uh, bib slash jacket so um, yeah yeah another unreal performance for sure you know so trevor coming into this was like oh i don't know i haven't been training much and i was like yeah right trevor but uh in 2018 you showed up after doing some like 200 mile race across scotland yeah like two weeks prior so (laughs) i was like i bet you you're actually well rested and uh you'll have just as good of a performance even though you haven't been training as much so, and I was, I was, I was also right on that one. So I'm going to pat, pat myself on the bat, but I will pat Trevor on the back even more. Uh, Cause you know, like they, they gave out awards at the brunch for people who've done all 10 world toughest, which, which is impressive. Uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. But I'd say there's a different level of commitment when you're someone like Trevor, who's coming back year after year, uh, defending a podium position. And then on yeah. top of that is like, I mean, he, he's redlining, right? Like, he's not holding anything back at the end of that race. Um, it requires you to go pretty deep into the pain cave. And, uh, you know, he's been doing it for seven years in a row. So I just, I just want to also give him a shout-out because that's just uh, the consistency of his performances over the last seven years is very impressive. Uh, I think, it's, to me, it's more impressive than his actual uh, individual race results, uh, which he hit 110 this year. So Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. What are your thoughts on uh, 2022? Uh, so the new venue is Pensacola, Florida. Um, I'm excited that it's somewhere decent, hopefully decent weather. Um, from what I can tell, I think the footing will potentially be decent and not a ton of elevation gain. So, yeah, I, I was on the fence whether or not I'd do another one this next com- this next year. Um, just you know the day after so i was like i don't i don't know that i can get up for this again i hit part of the reason you know i was running and i knew that i was going to be close to 100 and i told myself if i hit 100 i can i cannot come back and do this again and be happy you know like i've done i've done the 100 yep um so then on sunday i was kind of feeling the same way and then monday when they announced that then the then wheels started turning like Maybe it'll be sandy, but not as soft sand as it was here. You know, the weather's not that bad. 
Um, so yeah, I'm excited for it. I've, I'm, I'm signed up already. Oh, are you really? Nice. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. I was going to ask if you were coming back. Um, cause yeah, like you said, so, um, personal story. So I had, I had two, two conversations that I'm going to condense into kind of one quick story. So, you know, one of my friends was like, you know, what are you missing? So I hit that 90 miles for the third time. And he's like, well, what are you missing that's preventing you from hitting 100? And um, for this year specifically, uh, I peaked my mileage a couple of weeks beforehand, and then I got sick. So I stopped running for a week. And I, when I got back into running those last kind of like two weeks leading up to the world's toughest, my heart rate was just like unusually high. I'm not sure if I was just overtrained or like the sickness was kind of still uh, lingering in my body. Um, but yeah, I, I did nice. not feel good at world's toughest. I, you know, normally at a 12, at a 12 hour race, there comes a point where like for several laps, I'm like really in a groove and just kind of cruising. Yep. And I just felt like it was a complete grind <laughs> for 24 hours. Yeah. It's very, yeah, that's tough. you know, um, so I'm actually really happy with my performance, all things considered. Uh, but anyway, so th- I was talking to him. He's like, you know, what do you need to change? And I was like, I think I just need to race less, to be honest with you. Right. Like, yeah. cause I, my race schedule is very aggressive and I do a lot of endurance and I, by the end of the season, I'm pretty burnt out. Um, so yeah. he was, so they were like, so he's like, why don't you race less? Like, isn't the hundred mile bib worth, uh, more than these other races and individually? Yes, it is. Uh, but I have other goals, um, that I'm kind of stacking on top of each other. And like yeah. mo- most athletes, I'm a little greedy, right? So I'm, I'm trying to hit all these goals simultaneously. So the hundred mile yeah. bib is one of my goals. Absolutely. Uh, but it's just one of my goals. It's not the only goal. So, um, yeah. it's kind of a abbreviated answer and a kind of condensing a couple of different conversations, but yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, you know, was world stuff is important. Yeah. It's my most important race of the year. Is it more important than all my other races combined? No, it's not. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, but, and kind of like you, I was thinking, um, again, you know, thinking through as I was getting ready, you know, Friday night, Saturday morning, I was like, maybe if I get a hundred, I'll, uh, maybe I'll, I'll just stop running individually and switch over to relay. <laughs> Yeah. And, um, you know, on Monday I was like, well, didn't hit a hundred. Guess I need to come back at least, <laughs> a, you know, another year. Um, yeah. so kind of like it as like, uh, almost, you know, obviously I'd like to get it, but I, I kind of like that unreachable goal right now where it's, uh, continuing to pull me back. So, yeah, yeah. I got a couple more individual world stuff that's in me definitely. And, um, oh, yeah. I think, I think when you see me switch over to relay, that's your signal that I'm, uh, on my way out of world's toughest, <laughs> yeah. right? So I'll do, I'll yeah. probably do relay for a couple of years before I, you know, hang it up. Well, if um, it's anything like the ultra scene, I mean, there's super competitive studs in their mid to late forties. Yeah. You know? It's a different game. It's, uh, and I was surprised when I came into the ultra running scene, you know, it, like the tunnel hill race I did in 16 hours, just the, you start the race you would not expect the people that are in you know 50th place or whatever to even come close to hunt and they just they just bring it at the end Mm. (laughs) you know a nine minute mile pace that that feels way too slow they just hold it yeah so i whether or not ocr has you know weeds any more of those out maybe but yeah i think I think the longer distance, even in OCRs, you can, there's some longevity. Absolutely. Sure. 
Absolutely. At least I hope so. I just turned 40 a few months ago. So. <laughs> have you noticed, uh, you know, coming from a short distance background, have you noticed as you've aged um, substantial change in training or performance, stuff like that? Um, the, the faster stuff is definitely harder to hit um, mentally and physically. Um, and just training in general, I've noticed it takes a lot longer for me to get warmed up um and get you know i go out for an, for an easy run you know 10 years ago i'd be hitting seven minutes 6 30 right off the bat it might take me two miles i might be running 8 30 pace for two miles before i get you know loosened up and comfortable um but again that it's kind of like a governor it keeps keeps you from revving too high on the easy days so there's a give and take to it um but I think the base you build up over time gives you a huge advantage that, you know, someone in their 20s doesn't necessarily have, especially for the longer ultra racing. Um, and I've just kind of noticed that and been taking advantage of that the last few years. So absolutely. Hopefully that continues. So before world's toughest i got interviewed on obstacle racing media i think it was their instagram or stories or something and they asked me um basically how much the winner was going to get and i said they were going to get 110 and at the time people yeah. were like no yeah people were like you, that's too high and i was like all right um so I, one i was right and two i said 100 miles won't guarantee you a spot on the podium yeah and i was right on that too because you came in six with 100 miles yeah so um and people were like, well, what, well um, you know, I was talking to my dad after me. He's like, well, you know, what makes you, what makes you come to those conclusions? And it was, uh, there's 200 feet less elevation than previous uh, Vegas venues, right? So there's, yeah. there's, there's less elevation gain, which, which will add up when you times it by 20. Oh, yeah. um, and then the, the bigger one to me was the temperature, uh, I think, yeah. dropped to a low of 64 and yep. if you're running, you generate enough body heat where you don't need to put on a full wetsuit. Yeah. Um, and we're like, oh, well, that, that's not going to make a much difference. Well, it does because a wetsuit, when it's wet, will weigh like 10 pounds. I mean, that thing's heavy. Yeah. And yeah. then so you, you add the weight and then you add some of the restrictive movement it adds. Yep. Um, and, you know, you add that's more weight going across obstacles, more weight, you know, running. Yep. And uh, so that was my logic. I was like, I, you know, the, the guys who are fast, it's it's going to be a huge advantage not having to put on that wetsuit, a full wetsuit. Yep. Did you end up going, wearing any neoprene? I didn't. No, I, I brought uh, the sleeves and shorts version and a, the long sleeve bodysuit just in case. Um, but yeah, looking at the weather the week before, it, it actually lined up pretty close to what Chicago was. Um, I, I knew the water was probably going to be colder than it was in Chicago. Yeah, but it was. Chicago, I just wore the race bib and, and uh spandex shorts but uh vegas or uh laughlin weather was pretty decent luckily the wind died down i was a little nervous in that you know when the sun was up it was it was pretty breezy but the wind seemed to die down enough at night that i never really got cold or shivery at all so that was that was definitely nice yeah I ended up putting a, a neoprene top on, like, so just a long sleeve shirt. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure how far into the race. Sometime in the middle of the night, it was like 2 or 3 a.m. and wore that until the sun came out and then took it off. 
um, which I was surprised with because I was I was like, oh, I feel like I should be warmer than this, but whatever. Uh, yeah, that's, that's what I ended up doing. And I guess um, I did put a one of those Patagonia Houdinis the the vest. I got gotcha. on at like two a.m. Just there's a a stretch where um you were wet for a while and then didn't seem to get dried off and I got a little bit cold but not bad yeah but that was that vest was I was actually unzipping it because I was hot a couple hours later interesting I'm not familiar with that product what what is it exactly it's it's one of those super small windproof jackets that just falls up you know smaller Uh, okay okay yeah and I've used that out in Tahoe several times so it completely blocks the wind and then when you do get wet it dries off within a couple of minutes. Oh, nice. So it doesn't hold in a ton of heat, but it keeps it from, you know, the wind from blowing the heat off your body. Yeah. And the, the, you mentioned it already, but the, the water was actually really cold. Like to me, the water cold, in yeah. Arctic enema was only a couple degrees colder than the normal water. Yeah. Yeah. Which was very surprising. I was like, why is Arctic enema like the same temperature as the other ones? So, yeah. <laughs> That was a little fun. And it was an interesting course again. So the first like half was almost completely dry. Um, so you yeah. ran like two miles and then you finally hit cage crawl, which is your first water obstacle. And then the back half of the course was had a lot of water on the, on it. So you hit, you know, Arctic enema. And if you fell off funky monkey that you got wet, if you fell off the, or regardless, even if you hit the um, mini king of swingers, I call it, I think it's called hang time or something. Yep. Uh, you get wet on that one. Um do you end up taking the electric route? So for for those who were weren't there, you had a choice of Arctic Enema, so the ice bath, and then Mini King of Swingers, or you could follow the electric route, um, which was uh, low crawl electric eel with uh, smoke in it. Then they had electric, essentially called laser beams, so electric wi- uh, ropes, and then they had a, a combination of pitfall, so essentially holes in the ground uh, with uh, electric shock therapy above it. Do you end up taking the electric route? I did not do a single electric obstacle. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. So, and, and part of that in Chicago, <laughs> I never got shocked once. Um, I was able to navigate around them. And I was still a little bit hesitant. I mean, I'm not necessarily afraid of getting shocked, but with, again, I have a history of cramping. I was okay. nervous that I get hit with a shock and like my calf or my hamstring or something would cramp up. So I would. I went the Arctic Enema Swingers route. Really? Even after they were at, so at around, I don't know, 2 a.m. or something, you started going reverse Arctic Enema. They did that. So I banded out on that when they did that because I looked in and I saw them trying to crawl out of the ropes and I was like, there's, there's no way. So I, I used the band there. And then by the time I came back, they had switched directions again. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I think it was just destroying people. Ah, <laughs> uh, I didn't know they switched yeah. directions again. Yeah. Well, the top of Arctic Enema was like six feet. So even if someone was up there holding their hand down, you, there was not, you would have had to climb the rope like four feet to get to their hand. Jeez. So yeah, it was basically impossible. So from what I could tell, I guess. So we, we at Infinite Hero Honor Challenge, one of the challenges we had them do uh, a couple times was do Arctic Enema in reverse. Of course, there's no ropes hanging down. Uh, but it's a team yep. building event. So I knew how much difficult, how, how, how difficult it is. <laughs> and when they're like, do reverse art to get him, I was like, the electric route it is. Thank you for making that easy for me. Yeah. Um, so the electric route, uh, again, that low crawl through essentially 
crybaby. So it's like a, a menthol gas. They say it's tear gas uh, sometimes, but it's not, right? It's, it's like a menthol yeah. gas. It smells nice in there, to be honest with you. Um, I would go through that and then uh, laser beams and then electric eel. I'm sorry, ele- electroshock therapy. So we're in the low crawl. And uh, people are like being really careful about electric eel and I'm just barreling through the wires. So I'm going to share a secret with you guys. Here's why. If there's no medic at the obstacle, it's not on. Oh, nice. So they're not going to electrocute people without a medic. Um, Second, second, it is, there was at one point there was so much smoke in there that you couldn't see anything. And I was like, well, they're not going to electrocute someone without a medic and in, a, in an area where they physically can't see what's going on. Yeah. So I was like, this, this thing's off. I guarantee it. And I was right. And I just barreled through it. Uh, to be right. fair, I did get hit once on a laser beams because the medic was wearing a jacket. And I, I didn't realize he was, he was a medic. <laughs> um, but yeah. So that's, that's a tip for you guys. Uh, hopefully, Tough Mudder isn't listening to this and they, they don't... Uh, change that to, to outsmart people, but that's a, it's a, it's a pro tip for you. You can, you can put it in your pocket yeah. for later. All right. We're going to start wrapping things up. Um, before we get going, tell us one thing people would be surprised to know about you. Um, I have an acreage here in Iowa that my wife and I live on and we have painting goats here. Faint, like the ones that get excited and just tip over. Well, the, yeah. Yep. That's they get, amazing. They get scared and they just fall over. <laughs> is that is that a? I, I know very little about goats. Is that like a, a specific breed or is that like it's a specific a sub- breed? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're they're called myotonic. They don't faint. Their their legs get stiff and then they just fall over. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Do you? What do we what do we use them for? Are you eating them? What do we No, no, they're basically that's we Okay. They, they eat the grass in the field and that's pretty much it. My kids like them. Okay. Do your kids make them excited and then they tip over? Okay, yeah, occasionally. <laughs> we try not to do it too often, but yeah. <laughs> nice. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Um what do you got coming up for 2022? Or the end of 2021. Do 2021 and 2022. 2021, I'm hitting the Florida trifecta. um, Doing the the Beast on Saturday, Super and Spurn on Sunday. And I signed up for that ahead of time, knowing that I was going to be coming down from this world's toughest and needed something to get my ass out of bed here for the next month. so I'm, I'm racing elite. I have no expectations. Uh, I'd like to do well, but I'm, I'm not in the speediest shape right now. So, but, uh, a good reason to get out of town. So that's, that's going to finish up my 2021, 2022. I don't have anything on paper really yet. Um, again, I've signed up for world's toughest already. I haven't seen where the Spartan ultra championships are going to be but judging off the last several years it's always at altitude and it's always tons of uh elevation games yeah that's why i haven't been showing up yep (laughs) uh so even telluride this year is not that far i think 12 hours from here but the gain and the altitude just does not 
I can't, I can't be competitive at the top level. Um, yeah, world's tough is going to be my A race. Nice. Um, I'll probably do the toughest Indiana. And I've actually been at that, that Sarah land course a few times. Um, that's a nice venue. Yeah. Yeah. It's, very, it's like uh, a, it's like a family park. It's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that should be, fun. yeah, it should be a flat and fast course. Uh, yeah. We did we did Infinite Hero beta test there, and then I uh, ran it on Sunday, and it was, yeah, just flat. Yeah. So those are my my top races. Otherwise, I'll probably hit some some other Spartans here, um, early summer, late summer. But uh, well, I guess now that I'm 40 here in Iowa, I'm trying to knock down some of the the road race records if I get if I get a chance. Nice. Um, anywhere from five miles to marathon um and then drake relays i don't know if you're familiar with drake relays at all yeah yeah the track race they have a masters 800 so i'm gonna try to go throw down in there and see what i can do cool yeah quite a quite a spectrum 24 hours to 800 meters <laughs> yeah it's quite a quite a spread some, there i'm sharpening before that i'm sure but fun yeah awesome going again well, um, what was I going to say? Oh, uh, for, the, for our listeners, make sure you head over to Mudgear. There's a bunch of articles up there. One is, do inflatables belong in OCR? I wrote that one. There's another one comparing combat and obstacle course racing. So I took a bunch of uh, physiological stuff that happens in your body based off of research from Lieutenant Colonel David Grossman and compared it to some of the same physiological things that happen during obstacle course racing. So obviously on a different scale and obviously different importance levels there. But I just, you know, listening to David Grossman's book on combat, I just kept hearing things and I was like, I've experienced the same thing in racing as well as combat. But um, I could relate. It was honestly, it was kind of weird because I could relate to it a lot more from racing because because I have so many races under my belt. Um, so that was kind of interesting. So I, I would check that out, article out. And then on top of that, my pit crew at World Service Mudder was John Coley. He's one of the, essentially the content creator for Mudgear. So he just released an article about his first uh, World Service Mudder experience that's up on Mudgear. So you can check all those out. And then if uh, anyone's looking for Christmas presents, um, we have Blegmits in stock, small, medium, and large in light, and then small and medium in extreme. Uh, about to place a reorder for larges so uh, large extremes should be back in time uh, and in time for you to actually order and have them shipped in time for christmas so if anyone's looking for that and then on top of that got all my books available on the teamstrengthspeed.com website so the you know ultra ocr bible and ultra ocr man my biography and then plus strength and speed's guide to elite obstacle course racing and all the all the other ones you can you can you guys can go over there and dig through those well when you have time all right, I think that about wraps it up. Um, any final shout-outs you want to give, friends, family, sponsors, Ian? Um, I don't have anybody writing me checks, but I do have uh, Honey Stinger gives me tons of product and Vegas CBD, um, both great products. And, yeah, my wife obviously screwed for me. Uh, nice. For me. Yeah, and her sister-in-law, which is her first first ocr race of any kind so they they pulled my ass through um and then extended family for watching our four kids for five days while we were in vegas nice <laughs> yeah so autumn. i drag my or i used to drag my wife to world stuff mother every year including the 
first year when she was six months pregnant. And then uh, it's on her birthday weekend every single year. So um, she stopped coming when we had our second kid. So now it's just uh, me and my dad typically. And then we bring a third pick crew member. But yeah, they, they schedule World's Toughest Mother for my wife's birthday weekend every year. So she is a very understanding woman. And I appreciate her. <laughs> um, and then if you if anyone's following me on social media and, and or was at the awards banquet, I ended up winning uh, the Holy Grail mileage, which I was super excited about. So it's a, essentially the Tough Mudder point series. So a combination of your, your tougher, toughest, and world's toughest mileage all combined. So you have to do all three. Um, otherwise, you can't win, which is uh, very fortunate to me because I know Trevor, I think, skipped the tougher this year, and Mark Botras skipped the toughest this year, <laughs> which I was super excited about. And then um, the guy that wasn't first, Miles Lacey, a quick shout out to him. Um, he, he did a great job this year, but uh, because I scored a pretty high mileage, I hit 90 at World's Toughest Motor, I was able to overtake him on that last day there. So, um, nice. yeah. Congrats on that. Yeah, it was it was, uh, it was a very nice surprise. I, you know, it was like a kind of a background goal, and I was like, eh, I don't think I'll get it this year. Maybe next year. And um, I, the you know, we went to In and Out Burger after the race, and I started like looking at the results, and I was like, oh my goodness, I think I think I won. <laughs> and then I was like, all like, you know, I was like, but I'm sure I'm, you know, what if I'm missing someone? You know, like like yeah. Mark or Trevor. But again, they hadn't done uh, one of the races, so I had um, it allowed me to hold on to that lead, uh, which was surprising because normally you have to do a lot of events to to score mileage uh but i just i happened to hit some really good mileage at the three endurance events and then the one um tougher event so uh the lowest number of events anyone's ever won the holy grail championship with uh which was very fortunate for me so excited about that and it's just a it's a nice ending uh to my 2021 season so i hope to see some of our listeners out at Battle of the Lions. They got four events planned for 2022. Same four venues as last time. So Dallas, Little Rock, um, Kansas City, and Oklahoma City. Uh, so check those out. And then Operation, I keep saying Operation. It's not part of the title. Infinite Hero Honor Challenge has three events all planned for early in 2022. So uh, head over to Tough Mudder and sign up for that, please, because I will be at all three running the event. Uh, it's kind of a team-building thing. And um, it's not like a 10-hour suck fest. It's, you know, themed and it'll be fun, uh, but it'll also kind of get your legs moving and give you that little bit of endurance, kind of a, a good training day uh, for future races. So uh, please head over and check that out. And you can, if you have a season pass, you can register for free or you can pay the registration, either one, and then there's a fundraising goal. So kind of like what I've done with a lot of my ultra OCR charity events where I fundraise and also do a chair, also do an endurance event. Similar thing, but it's like all everyone can do it, and um, you know the multiple ability levels. So uh, we have guys that were really fit, and 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 got girls that were really fit, and then other ones that were less fit. Uh, but you move at it as a group pace, and then you know your attributes will help out in certain areas. So just because you're strong and fast doesn't mean you'll do well on everything, and just because you're slow doesn't mean you'll do poorly at everything, right? So uh, some of it requires mental, some of it requires uh, complex problem solving and stuff like that. And I've got, I've got some good stuff planned for 2022 for the event. So if you did one in 2021, come back in 2022 because it will be all different events with an all different storyline. All right. I'm done running my mouth. Ian, thanks again for joining me. Uh, we will, yeah, I'll catch you up with you uh, later in 2022. Awesome. Sounds good to me. All right. Catch you later. All right. See you.